Have you ever thought what it would be like without people? I know that's hard to even imagine, isn't it? Because we are people. And in a world without people, I mean, while life might still exist with the plant world, the animal world, but there are no people existing. There was a documentary like that on the History Channel at one time. Can you imagine life without people? And in the situation or the estimation of those, of those experts, they talked about what would happen if after just one day without people or one week without people or one month or one year without people, how would it be like? What would happen if all of a sudden people just disappeared, no longer existed? Well, of course, we know that that would be catastrophic, wouldn't it? Because that means I would not be here. You would not be here. Eventually, if, they, if you did not have people here on earth, there could be no peace and there could not be any purpose for the earth itself. Without people who would care for the earth. But so many times we do find ourselves, I suppose, wanting to get away from people, don't we? We might even decide to go on vacation in hopes that we can get away from people. People go camping. People go to other locations. But guess what? (laughs) There's going to be people there. People camping right alongside of you. Maybe a little further away, maybe. People, wherever you go on vacation, you're going to have to deal with people. Sometimes, I guess, some people disturb us because of their behavior. Sometimes people can disgust us because of their behavior. Some people even can depress us because of their behavior. And I just really don't like to be around them for very long. But you know, even if you take that vacation to get away from people, there's always going to be people, right? Somebody is dependent upon you and me. Whatever we find here in our text, we see that Jesus dealt with people. And thus the title of our sermon this morning, Jesus and People. Whatever his attitude was toward people ought to be our attitude toward people. And I want us to look at that and see how his attitude is and how our attitude ought to be as well. Certainly Jesus did not react hatefully toward people, did he? He didn't despise people. He loved people. Now Jesus saw the need from time to time to be able to get away. And to isolate himself from the crowd. And he would even encourage his disciples to do the same. To come away into a deserted place, Mark 6, 31. But let's rest a while. Let's just get away from people for the moment. 
But then you find Jesus right back in the midst of the crowd, don't you? And everything we find here at the end of the creation week, the text tells us that God was pleased with his creation. Everything he had made, he said it was very good. Very good. That included the creation of man and woman from which the earth and everything in it was created for them. For God so loved the world, that is, the people, the world, John 3.16. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And many of us have taught our children, and I believe correctly, that the church is not a material meeting house, that the church is the people. This is just a building. We don't worship it. Jesus died on the cross for the church. People. You remember that account about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and he came asking that, that very appropriate question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him what he needed to do. And that was to go and sell all that he had and give to the poor. Come, follow me. And of course, we know the end of that story, that he didn't want to do that. But it's interesting, if you read the account in Mark 10, verse 31, it says that Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Loved him. Here was a man who would not even follow Jesus, but Jesus still loved him. He loves the people. He loves the world. He loves us individually. Even when Jesus, because of his humanity, found a need to be able to get away from the crowd, you'll find him right away, once again, back in the crowd. Here in our text, in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, we find that at this particular time, this was the second teaching tour of our Lord Jesus Christ into Galilee. But there are several things we noticed immediately as we look at this particular passage Jesus, because of his love for people and his interest in, in them, would go where he could find the most people. And when we talk about evangelism, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? We need to be out there with the people. They are the ones who need saving. And so Jesus would first go where you find a great crowd of people. And so he's in the cities, he's in the villages where you find people. And there he would teach and he would preach. After all, that was his mission, right? Luke 19.10, that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. And the power we know is found in the gospel Romans 1.16. Now Jesus found that there was one place in particular where he could do a lot of good teaching. And that was in the synagogue. Isn't that what our text says? Teaching in their synagogues. In their synagogues. 
You see, he went where the people were. He found where people needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while he would be engaged in this preaching and teaching, reaching out to this people, the text tells us, verse 35, that he would heal all kinds of sickness and disease. Now when Jesus would do that, he would confirm who he was and the message that he was preaching. That he came from above and that his message also came from above. But in so doing, he demonstrated marvelous kindness, didn't he? He demonstrated that he was a, a lover of people because he helped people with their infirmities. He would heal the sick. He would heal those who were diseased. But what did he see? What does our text tell us that Jesus saw when he looked upon the masses of people, the multitudes? Well, he saw confusion, right? Look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He saw people who were confused. Now, Jesus is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace, right? So when he sees confusion, that disturbs him. Something needs to be done. Jesus does not like to see things that are not right. He wants to take those things that are not right and then set them in order. Now, what would he find? Well, in this confused multitude, he found out people were hungry as well, right? He found people who were in need of food. And he found people who were weary, who were tired. Of course, our text says fainted. He would find people who were very, very sick also. Perhaps he would see somebody standing in that crowd who was blind and could not see. Or maybe a woman with her back bowed to where she could not even stand up straight. He saw people who were sick people, who were diseased. And his heart was filled with compassion, the text says, toward those people, doesn't it? But in this confused multitude, he no doubt saw those who were intrigued by the sensational. And this often led to fanaticism. I mean, there were some who would come to Jesus, not to hear his message, but to see some miracle that he would perform. And then there were others who were very religious, no doubt in this confused multitude. But they had a lot of questions to ask. They were not steadfast and sure when it came to what they might have believed and, and what they practiced as well. And there is doubt. There's no doubt in my mind within this confused multitude that there was even mean and hateful people among them. Now Jesus could have looked upon the multitude and even saying somebody engaging or seeing somebody engaging in some injustice toward another person, that he might could even witness thievery taking place in that multitude. We know any time that there's a group of people, there's a pickpocketer in that crowd. 
Somebody doing harm maybe to somebody else? I don't know. But he looked upon this multitude. He knew that they were confused. They were no doubt confused. What really upset, uh, the, what really upset Jesus at this particular time, the author of peace, the one who is disturbed by confusion, Jesus looked out there upon these people and he saw a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. That's what really disturbed him at this time. No one is leading them. No one is directing them to where to go to guide them in the right way. You see, Jesus came for that purpose because he's the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. And Jesus would look upon the multitudes like, like that and he would see their confusion. And Jesus said, you know, I've got to do something about that. There's something's got to be done. What was Jesus' reaction toward this multitude? He did not look down his nose. He did not look down his nose when he looked upon that crowd. He did not shake his head in disgust. He did not give up them and walk away and said, they're so confused that they won't even listen to me, probably. No, he didn't do that. You see, his attitude was... He was moved with compassion toward them, verse 36. I, I read the lyrics to a song a few years ago, and the title of the song says, I walk today where Jesus walks. We need to make it a practice, brother, to walk where Jesus walks. He saw confusion. And the text reminds us, as he looked upon the multitude. But when he saw confusion, he was moved with compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is this intense desire. I mean, something that is from deep within. An intense desire to alleviate or to lift up the burden of somebody else. And so we find that is compassion. And the great invitation that Jesus would say, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. That's the compassionate Savior that we know. Let me have your burdens, he says. We know we've mentioned 1 Peter 5, 7 many times that we are to cast all our care upon him. Why? Because he careth for you. That's the idea of compassion, isn't it? Let me lift up your burdens. You see, with Jesus, he was willing to interrupt his schedule for them. He was willing to risk his own reputation and to make great sacrifice for people, for others. You see, that's what compassion does. Jesus did the things that he did because he had the opportunity to do those things. He talked about the daylight and he said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. John 9, 4. And so he took advantage of opportunity. 
Paul, we know, wrote by inspiration. He also studied the Christ, preaching Christ. But he encouraged us to behave like Christ. When he says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are the household of faith. Early in that chapter, Galatians 6 and verse 2, he said, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus took advantage of the opportunity to help somebody, to help someone, to help anyone. All around us today, friends, there are those who are hurting. Those that are bleeding. And what we must do as followers of Christ is just simply take advantage of the opportunity. Because we don't always have the opportunity. Now, I recall many years ago with Brother James Watkins talking about the church and its purpose. And Brother Watkins, Watkins might not have been the only one to ever say this, but he's the first one I heard say it, that the church of our Lord is not likened unto a country club of good people who have similar backgrounds, who enjoy just getting together. No, he says the church is more like a hospital, a hospital for simple people. Have you ever thought of it that way? The church is more like a hospital for sinful people, a place where the sinner can come to get help that is needed to recover. But we will not bring them to this hospital if we don't take the opportunity or opportunities. That's why this text here in Matthew 9 is so meaningful. As you see the Lord Jesus Christ who is moved with compassion, we must also take advantage of the opportunity as well. Now, what is probably the chief enemy of our expressing care and concern and even compassion for one another? It's, it's not because we are a bad people. It's busyness. It's busyness. It's not because we wish anybody any harm. It's not that we take delight in the suffering of somebody else. We're just too busy, aren't we? I like the words of the French-born Quaker named Stephen Grillet, who said, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any fellow creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. That's very biblical, isn't it? This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And so we learn from our Lord to be able to take advantage of the opportunity and to, to help somebody else. What was it that Jesus said? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Matthew twenty two thirty nine, Matthew seven twelve. You know the what we might call the golden rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You see, we might not always have the opportunity to do good, but think with me, if you will, for just a moment 
about some biblical characters who have had compassion like Christ, who demonstrated that compassion to kindness, who took opportunities to help. I think about Mary and Martha and Lazarus just welcoming Jesus into their home on many occasions, John 11. Not everybody did that. Not everybody opened their home to other people. I really do believe that one of the great regrets that some who are members of the church, who are older, who look back on life, you know, I wish I could have been a little bit more hospitable. I've heard him say it. I wish that I was a little bit more hospitable and I have opened my home to more people. That's part of Christianity, isn't it? To be hospitable. Here was a trio, a brother and two sisters, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who took advantage of the opportunity to bring Jesus into their home. And Martha said, we're going to need to eat. I'm going to cook for him. Mary said, I want to sit down and I want to listen to him correctly. I want to hear him speak. They loved the Lord and they demonstrated great compassion. There was another woman. She was in Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee in Mark 14, 3 through 9. She was so gracious. She was so sweet, so loving toward Jesus because of what he had done for her. And so then she washes his feet with her tears, anointed him with oil. She took advantage of the opportunity. We think about Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, he had an opportunity, didn't he? When Jesus was hanging on that cross, John 19, he said, I'll be the one. I'll be the one that'll take that body off that cross and I will anoint him for burial in my new tomb. He took advantage of the opportunity, didn't he? Dorcas was a great Christian woman. Acts 9, 36 and following. Who went about doing good things for other people, engaging in good works. Because she had, a, she had to follow Jesus and his example of compassion as well. For those poor and poverty-stricken churches in Macedonia who said, let us help because they were too filled with compassion in Acts 16. Those people in the first century that learned from the Lord as we must do as well, who according to Acts 10 and verse 38, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. All because he moved with compassion. All because he took advantage of the opportunity. Put these passages down in your notes if you're taking notes. Such as 1 John 3 and verse 18. Where he said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Right? See the action here? It's motivated by compassion. In James 1 and verse 27, he says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. 
Do you see a Christ-like compassion even in that passage as well? Jesus would relay a parable even to the Pharisees concerning a good Samaritan. It was a parable that had to hit them very hard because the unlikely hero in that parable was the Samaritan. And oh, they, they don't like the Samaritans. Right? We talk about the Good Samaritan, and there are hospitals that are even out there in our world today called the Good Samaritan Hospital. As far as Pharisees were concerned, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan But unlike the priest and the Levite, both religious individuals, the Samaritan demonstrated what? An unmoving compassion. Jesus said, that's interesting. When you read the word in Luke 10 and verse 33, when Jesus speaks of that good Samaritan and his compassion, that's the same word that we find right here in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, with reference to Jesus and is only used for him. You see, really, Jesus is the good Samaritan in Luke, the 10th chapter. So what did he do? What did that good Samaritan do? He took it upon himself to take advantage of the opportunity to alleviate the burden of somebody. He took it upon himself, and that's the point that Jesus is making. He took it upon himself. There's a difference in concern and there's a difference in compassion. You ought to have concern for people. Sometimes that's all that you can do. And what you can do when you try to help somebody and that person doesn't want any help, well, you might as well stop because why? Well, you might become an enabler, right? But you're concerned about that person. You would like to see that person change. And you've tried to help that person, but you can't. Then on the other hand, there's something called care given. It's called being a care giver. But did you know that you don't necessarily have to be present to give care? There are some families and sometimes it breaks the heart of the son or daughter, but they get to the point where mom and dad have to be placed in in an assisted living home. It breaks their hearts. They would rather do it themselves, but they get to the point where they cannot do it any longer. Now they're providing care, but they had to pay somebody else to do it. But compassion, on the other hand, is when you alleviate the burden yourself, that you take on the burden. Jesus looked upon that crowd and he saw them confused and he was moved with compassion. I've got to do something, he said. I've got to alleviate the burden. He had compassion upon the people. So what have we noticed so far in our text where our Lord saw confusion? He saw confusion when he saw those people, which moved him to compassion. And then this led him to offer his commission. Look at verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest, 
You see, Jesus has demonstrated marvelous compassion toward those who are confused. Now he gives this commission. And the imagery switches, doesn't it? He goes from a shepherd of sheep to talking about the harvest field. That the harvest truly is plenteous. Think about that word plenteous for just a moment, if you will. First of all, when he says that the harvest is plenteous, he's talking about people, right? That's right. People are plenteous. Are they plenteous today? Some 7 billion plus on this world, on this earth today. Our work is cut out for us. There are a whole lot of people on earth today that need the saving gospel of Christ. We are interested in mass communication, mass media, if you will going worldwide with the gospel any way that we possibly can because you see each person on earth today has a soul and that soul is worth more than the whole world whole world Mark 8 so people are plenteous but people are plenteous problems are plenteous we see it today, don't we? Because where you have people, you will have problems. Right? But what is it that binds people together? I mean, really, when you think about it, what really do we have all in common as much as anything else? There's sorrow, there's suffering, there's, there's trials throughout the world. It's that way. People are plenteous, so the problems are plenteous. But what kind of problems? Well, there might be family problems. There might be financial problems. There might be friendship problems. A host of problems. And of course, the root of all problems is sin. Every since, ever since sin entered into the world, we've had problems. And with sin comes much sorrow. And even the innocent suffer because of the sins of others. And so people are plenteous. Therefore, problems are plenteous. But the good news that came from Jesus is this. That even though people are plenteous and problems are plenteous, pardon is plenteous as well. And so Jesus comes offering compassion, and with compassion comes pardon. In Jeremiah 31, in verse 34, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's what Jesus is talking about right here in our text. When he sees that confused multitude. But if people are plenteous, and the problems are plenteous, and Jesus comes and says, Pardon this plenteous, He's also saying possibilities are plenteous, isn't he? That's right. You see, Jesus not only thought about how he could pardon those people who were in that confused state, but then he thought about the possibility of every one of them. Do you think that way? Do you think that way? I've asked myself that question. Do I see the possibilities of other people? For just a moment, I, I want you to think in your mind about somebody that disturbs you. 
that, that disgusts you. One who maybe depresses you. Maybe somebody even despises you and you struggle because maybe you despise them. And you pray for them. You pray about it. You work on it. Maybe that person has done some harm toward you. But this morning, what would it take to make you see that person in a different light? What would it take? What changes would they have to make for you to all of a sudden say, you know, they are all right. They are good people. I'm proud. Maybe I can draw closer to that person now. Can you picture in your mind right now that person becoming more like Jesus? Try to do that. If I can just meet that person and that person would be more made like Jesus, just think about that person doing just that. And let that resonate and try to think about it all the time. And when you start seeing that person what that person would be like if they would behave more like Christ. You're seeing the possibility. You're seeing the possibility that's there because with every one of us, there is that possibility. Jesus would look at these people. He would just look at people, right? Most of whom would even reject him. But he could think in his mind, Oh, how different they would be if only they would let me help them and change them. We need to view people the same way. I would ask you this question, well, I'd ask you this morning to do this for me. If if you've got problems with me, don't give up on me, please. And I'll return to respect. If I have a problem with you, I'm not going to give up on you. Now, that doesn't say I have any problems with you. But if there is a problem, work with me, if you will. Don't give up on me. The Lord is not finished with me yet. He's not finished with you yet. And he who begins a good work with you is going to be faithful and complete it right to the very end. He's not giving up on you. And we can be so quick to give up on others, though. Either you see people are plenteous and so are their problems. Pardon is plenteous and so is the possibility as well. So what does Jesus, Jesus ask to do here? Verse 38, he says, Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You see, something happens when you start praying. Here's one reason to pray, and maybe it's the chief reason God wants us to pray. That when you pray, you get motivated. You get motivated. If prayer accomplishes nothing else, it will motivate us. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Pray that you stay away, that you enter not into temptation. Pray about it. Because if you're praying about it, you will be motivated to stay awake. If you're praying, Lord, help me refrain from sin you're more likely to refrain from that sin than if you didn't pray. I know you know I'm right. 
when you think about it. When you're about to do whatever it is, if you'll just stop right there and go to God in prayer, you're most likely to refrain from that sin. That's what we need to do. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. That's what he taught his disciples. Remember when David, King David, oh, he was up on that rooftop taking it easy. He should have been out in the field. Because if he was out in the field, he would have never committed that sin. But oh no. You see, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. What's the point here? We are dependable upon people. And people are dependent upon you and me. And if we're going to help other people, that means that we're going to have to love people. Why? Because Jesus loved people. And quit being so disgusted and disturbed and depressed by people. Percy Bysshe Shelley, the great English poet, said these words. Those who love not their fellow beings live unfruitful lives. He's right. And furthermore, if we don't love people, we can't be like our Father in heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're not going to go to heaven. That our Lord gave us an example to follow. Now, we need to go and follow. Our Lord saw the world filled with confusion. But he was moved with compassion. And then he gives us this commission. You might be here, not a child of God. You might be watching Facebook Live and not a child of God. We want to encourage you to become one. Because there might not be a tomorrow. There is no guarantees that there will be a tomorrow. But there is a guarantee that if you'll come to the Lord in faith and believing that he is the son of God, in repentance of those sins, and making that good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and going down into the waters of baptism, I'll guarantee you this, that the Lord will add you to the church and you'll be saved. Jesus in his words, Mark 16, 16, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. If you're here already a child of God, but you wandered away, or maybe you're watching, if you wandered away, we hope that you'll make that decision to be restored back to that first love. You see, Jesus has done everything possible. It's up to us to do our part, to repent of those sins and pray that God will forgive us. We hope that we can help you even today. Let us know.